Appendix. There were a few topics related to the Word of Wisdom that we wanted to include in this book, but we didn't feel quite feel that they fit into the main body as they are somewhat ancillary. Initially, we decided to include these topics in another work, but were persuaded to include them in as an appendix instead. The following sections are simply to provide additional and interesting information for your consideration. Section, what about dairy and eggs? The question about eggs and dairy is one of the most difficult questions to answer when it comes to the word of wisdom, but one we receive quite frequently. The short answer is, what about milk and eggs? The word of wisdom doesn't say anything about them either. Some people believe that because the revelation is silent on the matter, they should be perfectly fine to eat. Others believe that since there is nothing, we should not indulge. Indeed, it is difficult to make a case that if something is not included in a list of dietary guidelines, it is compliant or non-compliant. However, there are no scriptures in the standard works that specifically advise the common use of these animal items. In fact, at the very best, they are silent on our consumption of them. Though some scriptures make mention of dairy or eggs, they are usually either symbolic or about the poor. One of the most common phrases used to justify the consumption of milk is milk and honey, a phrase that typically refers to prosperity and abundance. The scriptures are replete with references to milk and honey in all sorts of contexts. In other instances, the reference to milk is a reference to a mother's milk. In his first epistle, Peter says, quote, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, end quote. This is an obvious reference to mother's milk because at the time, mothers would have fed their children their milk for several years past infancy. As we discussed throughout the book, the Word of Wisdom contains three categories of substances, the do's, the don'ts, and the sometimes. The do's are herbs, grains, and other plants. Milk and eggs don't fit there. The don'ts are tobacco, hot drinks, alcohol, and drugs. Milk and eggs don't fit there either. That leaves us with the sometimes. The sometimes consists of beasts and fowls of the air, which accurately describes milk and eggs. Many people even refer to milk as liquid meat, or perhaps this, and perhaps this is more evidence that it should be treated as such. This puts eggs, milk, cheese, and other animal foods in the same category as meat foods, which means we should only turn to these foods when circumstances necessitate. If we turn back to Doctrine and Covenants 88, we are told that animals should not be used only in times of winter or in cold or famine. Interestingly, the Lord does not say eaten, he says used. What are other ways aside from obvious meat that they provide that they can be used? Their fur, horns, hoofs, eggs, and milk are all ways that they can be used. The footnote of this verse leads us to another where the Lord says that they are to be used with judgment, not to excess, neither by extortion. Even if you do not buy into the argument that animal byproducts fit in with the sometimes of the word of wisdom, we readily admit that the revelation is silent on the use of these products. However, the Lord clearly outlined in the word of wisdom and other revelations what has been ordained to be eaten. Milk and eggs are not included in any of the prescribed foods. So we must ask ourselves, why is the Lord silent on this and what else is he silent on? The Lord is silent on high fructose corn syrup, MSG, preservatives, chips, candy, and many other products. Does this mean that they are in line with the spirit of the word of wisdom that is to take care of our mortal frame? Certainly not. Perhaps the Book of Mormon prophet Jacob said it best. Oh, be wise, what can I say more? From a simple nutritional standpoint, there is no question as to whether or not we ought 
to eat these things? The answer is an increasingly accepted no. All nutrients or health benefits found in animal byproducts can be found in greater abundance for cheaper and without the side effects of animal products in the foods found in the dues of the word of wisdom. To briefly make mention of some of the research behind this claim, eggs cannot legally advertise using the word safe or healthy or nutritious. This is our first hint that they ought to be avoided. Furthermore, studies indicate that eating eggs can be equally as detrimental to your blood vessels as smoking. This in part comes because a single egg has 187 milligrams of cholesterol. Other studies found that people who eat an egg a day have up to a double the risk of developing type 2 diabetes, and eating five or more eggs a week has been associated with an increased risk of breast, prostate, colon, and ovarian cancers. Milk is extremely high in fat, the bad kind, and is directly linked to prostate, breast, and ovarian cancers. Even the most free-range homegrown cow with no antibiotic use produces milk that is naturally extremely high in bovine hormones, which are directly linked with hormone disruptions in humans leading to infertility, PMS, PCOS, and more. Contrary to popular belief, milk also depletes vitamin C and calcium from bone stores, causing bone fractures. And most interesting, the groundbreaking China study, one of the largest nutritional studies ever performed, found that you can turn off cancer cells simply by eliminating dairy. Moreover, this study found that cancer cells were reignited when dairy was introduced. If this information is not enough, other studies have also shown that over 65% of the global population is lactose intolerant. If the Lord intended us to have dairy products, why would so many of his children be allergic to it? Ultimately, there are substantive arguments to be made on both sides. For example, most of the prophets and apostles ate eggs and dairy throughout their lives. Does this mean they didn't live the word of wisdom the right way? Of course not. You must therefore use your judgment and the spirit of revelation to decide what to do. I, Cassidy, experienced the blessings of stopping my consumption of dairy and eggs. On three various occasions throughout my life, I stopped consuming meat for different reasons. Though I stopped eating meat, I still ate moderate amounts of eggs and large amounts of dairy. Each time I stopped eating meat, I noticed improved health, but my challenges never went away completely. I was still unable to fully claim the promised blessings of health and strength in the word of wisdom. Feeling discouraged, I added meat back into my diet each time. I worked hard to ensure I had the cleanest products. I bought all grass-fed, organic, free-range products and always brought raw milk and cheese from a variety of animals. As Jordan and I learned new things about the Word of Wisdom that we had never considered, we felt that we needed to move um, to more of a Daniel diet, that is, to leave aside the meat, eggs, and dairy in favor of the poults or plant foods, unless we found ourselves in dire circumstances. It wasn't until we made this change that the windows of heaven were opened to us and we experienced greater health than we thought was possible. It was like we began to get younger, not older, and our countenances surely showed it. Interestingly enough, one study has shown that the Daniel diet of poults and water can have incredible, clinically significant improvements in health. We are not here to tell you how to act regarding dairy or eggs, only to present information in our own experience that you may not have previously considered, but if you are following each of the admonitions in the word of wisdom and still do not have the blessings you desire, perhaps this is a perfect opportunity to test out the Daniel diet. Experiment upon the word to see if it is good. By your own experience, you'll be able to know whether this is something you should follow or not. 
Give it two weeks and see how you feel. There is certainly nothing to lose, but much to be gained. Section, Christ drank wine and ate meat. The four Gospels of the King James Version New Testament give us a brief look at Christ's life. Through these accounts, or though these accounts are incredibly important and ought to be studied with great care, they are just a small fragment of the historic and spiritual writings that exist about the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Many additional Gospels, historical accounts, alternate translations, and apocryphal books often provide important context and information, but did not make it into the King James Version. Many members are scared of these books, as their variety and origins are sometimes questionable. However, it is interesting to note that Joseph Smith often referred to and used other translations of the Bible in his personal studies. One version he would have used contained the Apocrypha. Referring to the Apocrypha, DNC 91 assures us that many of the things therein are true and it is mostly translated correctly. The Lord goes on to say that we ought to read the things by the Spirit, and the Holy Ghost will manifest to us what is true. With this approach in mind, it is exciting for many members to learn that there is a great deal written in other texts about the teachings of the personal diet of Jesus Christ. What we offer in this section is a different look as at what we find in the English King James Version of the Bible. We do not claim to have discovered any hidden or new doctrine, simply interesting information to consider. The first major issue with the idea that Jesus drank intoxicating wine is that many of these assertions are from anti-Christians that discuss the use of wine during the time of Christ. So a complete and accurate picture of wine usage is unlikely. That being said, there are some clues in ancient historical texts that help us to understand the situation a little bit better. As already discussed in chapter 4, it is very clear from many passages in the Bible that intoxicating wine is condemned. One passage indicates that wine was associated with woe, sorrow, contentions, babbling, and redness of eyes. Some historical records indicate that the Jews took great care to store the wine properly so that it did not turn bad, but also so that it would not ferment and become alcoholic. It should be remembered that alcoholic wine is not naturally occurring. It is an arduous process that includes the correct amount of water, sugar, time, and temperature. So simply putting wine in a barrel until the next season would not suffice it making it an alcoholic beverage. If this alcoholic form of wine was condemned throughout scripture, we can logically infer that it would not be in Christ's character to defile his body with such things. Some of the quotations below may provide more insight. As members of the church, we use a version of the Bible that came from a Greek manuscript. However, the Syriac Aramaic manuscript is regarded as being more correct by some historians, since it is written in the language that Christ and his disciples would have spoken. In this version of Luke 21, the Lord teaches his disciples, quote, Be on guard so that your hearts do not become heavy with the eating of flesh and with the intoxication of wine, and with the anxiety of the world. And that day come upon you suddenly, for as a snare it will come upon all who dwell upon the surface of the earth, end quote. Here we see that Jesus specifically counseled against intoxicating drinks, as well as the eating of meat. Some may ask, how does this square with the portrayals in the New Testament of Christ eating fish? First, it is interesting to note that in the original story of Christ feeding the 5,000, he is said to have fed the crowd with both bread and fish. However, each time Christ retrospectively discusses the event, he makes no mention of fish, only referring to bread. It would seem that fish was later added to the original story considering the fact that early church writers such as uh, Iranius, Eusebius, and 
Arnobius, all wrote of the miracle of feeding the 5,000, but no mention of fish. Various other works, such as the Hebrew Gospels, also portrayed Jesus as not eating any animals, including fish. Other texts from groups such as the Essenes, Nazarenes, Ebionites, Ebionites? Yeah. <laughs> Ebionites. All suggest that Christ ate a meat-free diet, some going as far as to advocate that he didn't partake of any animal substances. For some historical background on these groups of people, which may be largely unfamiliar to Latter-day Saints, we turn to Dr. James Tabor. Quote, Josephus reports four main sects of school or schools of Judaism, Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and Zealots. The earliest followers of Jesus were known as Nazarenes, and perhaps later, Ebionites, and form an important part of the picture of Palestinian Jewish groups in late Second Temple times. The Ebionite-slash-Nazarene movement was made up of mostly Jewish-Israelite followers of John the Baptizer and later Jesus, who were concentrated in Palestine and surrounding regions and led by James the Just, the oldest brother of Jesus. The term Ebionite, from Egyptian Evonim, means poor ones, and was taken from the teachings of Jesus, Blessed are you poor ones, for yours is the kingdom of God, end quote. Dr. Tabor also explains that Nazarene was probably the first term used for the followers of Christ as mentioned in the Bible. In relation to the use of animal flesh, Jesus is purported to have said in the gospel of the Nazarenes, quote, Knowest thou not that God in the beginning gave to man the fruits of the earth for food, and did not make him lower than the ox or the horse or the sheep, that he should kill and eat the flesh of the blood of his fellow creatures? End quote. On another occasion he taught, quote, Wherefore, I say unto you, all who desire to be my disciples, keep your hands from bloodshed, and let no flesh meat enter your mouths. For God is just and bountiful, who ordaineth that man shall live by the fruits and seeds of the earth alone. End quote. These ancient texts give us an interesting perspective that our New Testament does not. Even more intriguing, however, are the historical accounts from the early church, early Christian church, about the disciples and their followers. There is overwhelming evidence from a variety of sources that the early apostles did not partake of meat or wine. Many of these accounts originate from early church historian Eusebius. Eusebius, whom one prominent scholar has called the first great Christian ecclesiastical historian, wrote a ten-volume comprehensive history of the early church. In one of his works, Eusebius writes that the disciples embraced and preserved in a strenuous and laborious life with fasting and abstinence from wine and meat. In his comprehensive history, Eusebius records that this mode of life has been preserved to the present time by us alone. In the New Testament, we learn that John the Baptist ate locusts. However, a closer look shows that he was a Nazarite who believed in living an austere and humble lifestyle. The carob bean, also known as the locust bean, was commonly regarded as one of the most readily available foods eaten by this priestly class. Therefore, it can be reasonably inferred that John likely ate locust plant seed from the carob tree, not actual locusts. In fact, according to the church historian uh, Hegesiopus, John never ate meat. But John was not the only one that we likely have incorrect information about. Other texts indicate that others of the apostles abstained from both meat and wine as well. Peter reportedly said, I live on olives and bread, and rarely vegetables. On another occasion, he taught that the unnatural eating of flesh meats is 
as polluting as the heathen worship of devils, with its sacrifices and its impure feast. Through participation uh, in it, a man becomes a fellow-eater with devils. End quote. We are told in the Acts of Thomas that Thomas abstained from the eating of meat and drinking of wine. Matthew ate only seeds and nuts, hard-shelled fruits and vegetables without flesh. And most interesting is James, the brother of Jesus. According to Eusebius, James was holy from his mother's womb, and he drank no wine nor strong drink, nor did he eat flesh. End quote. This assertion was repeated by St. Augustine, who said that James, quote, lived upon seeds and vegetables, never tasting flesh or wine, end quote. Here we learn that Mary brought him up with a knowledge, surely as his brother, Jesus would have been brought up in this same custom. If these texts are to be believed, we must ask, where did we stray? If Christ plainly taught these things according to so many sources, when did the rhetoric shift? It was well documented and known among many in the early Christian world that meat was not to be permitted. It wasn't until the 4th century AD that Roman Emperor Constantine, who officially merged Christianity with paganism to create a new state religion, gave the green light to meat consumption. Since that time, meat consumption has, generally, has been generally accepted by most Christians. If we accept that at least a portion of these texts are accurate, some may wonder, quote, why didn't Joseph Smith make these changes in his translation of the Bible, end quote. We can't know for certain, but it appears that this was a principle Joseph was working to restore. The Apostle Peter taught of the restitution of all things, and this was merely a portion of what needed to be restored. For instance, the Lord revealed to Joseph key changes to Genesis 9 that stipulated animals were only to be eaten to save life. Joseph also received the revelation in Doctrine and Covenants 89 that essentially restored the diet given to Noah and confirmed biblical teachings about intoxicating wine. Not only did the prophet receive this instruction from the Lord, but he also taught the principles repeatedly to the saints. Accepting all of this would lead us to believe that perhaps there are still things amiss in our King James Bible about Christ and his use of fish, things that Joseph would have corrected had he been able to continue his work on translation on the Bible as he had planned before he was killed. Regardless, we don't know for certain the variety of these things. Did Christ really not partake of intoxicating wine and animal flesh? It's possible. However, we do know that the things that were revealed to the prophet Joseph Smith, it is hard to imagine that the Lord would not um, abide principles he would reveal to his prophet and expect his saints to live. We can confidently assert that because Christ lived a sinless life, he took care of his mortal body by not defiling it with things he would later reveal to Joseph were harmful.